He's the author of 47 books. Some of us have not even read 47 books, and he's authored 47 books. Uh, he's a New York Times best-selling author. He's a radio and TV personality. Uh, he's been on Focus on the Family, on uh, the Today Show, CBS's early show, Fox and Friends, Oprah and The View. He's a consultant, um, consulting family psychiatrist for uh, Good Morning America. Uh, he's a, certainly a friend of this congregation, this community of faith, because he visits with us every year about this time. His wife, Sandy, and, he, and himself are, are parents of five kids and two grandkids. And above all else, he's a wonderful true follower of Jesus Christ, and we're glad he's visiting with us again today. Would you please welcome Dr. Kevin Lehman? Thanks, Jim. I don't mind telling you, I love your pastor, Jack, and his beautiful wife. Now you know he's got the grandson. You want to have a little conversation, just ask him, how's the grandson? And sit back and relax. There's nothing like being a, uh, how many of you are grandparents? Yeah, and have fun. I'll tell you, give them back when you want to, it's great. Um, let's see, I brought some notes, which is very unusual. I want to give you a little update. I feel so much a part of you guys over here. It's like, I, I asked Pastor Jack, I said, how many times have I been here in a row? Most of you know the story. I thought I was helping some pastor that was just sort of sick of his congregation, wanted to take a day off. When they asked me years ago, I thought, well, I'll go over there and help out. And there he is sitting there in the front row. And I go, what's this about? <laughs> I've been here ever since. Uh, a little update. Um, have a happy family by Friday. I can't get Fridays out of my head. Comes out September 1st. It's an interesting book, Have a Happy Family by Friday. And I said to my publisher, now, wait a minute. Do you really want me to do that book? We really want you to do the book. I said, well, have a happy family by Friday. If you buy that book, doesn't that mean like you don't have a happy family? Maybe we should call it Have a Happier Family by Friday. And they said, no, uh, take a look around. I said, okay. Well, what do you see? I see families in disarray. Oh, why don't we call it disarrayed families? No, you don't get it, Lehman. We want have a happy family by Friday. And the more I thought about it, I looked at families. I thought, you know, families aren't happy today. They're stressed to the max. Marriages aren't doing well. Women still are clueless about us men. And, and, and men aren't exactly the communicators. We saw one up here with a purse. I don't know what that was about. But... Uh, I'm just funning you. But uh, so have a happy family by Friday is coming out September 1. I told Pastor Jack, proof of the living God. I started a trilogy, okay? A fiction trilogy. That means three books, okay? Proof of the living God. Book one is done. I have, I am not a reader of fiction. I don't enjoy fiction. I just finished a fiction book. It's a presidential intrigue book about a family like the Kennedys or the Bushes, people who are just loaded with money. But they summer at Chautauqua. Isn't that by coincidence? And it's got a lot of Western New York in it and Western Pennsylvania type jargon. And I, I hope people will like it. But book one is done. And then um, we started podcasts. Now, I have to tell you how this happened. My kids are my biggest critics. They said, Dad, you got to get hip. You're old. You need to start doing podcasts. 
So what would I say to my kids? What's a podcast? And uh, they told me, and I said, okay, I can do that. We started them about eight weeks ago, and the podcasts are free, okay? You go on Birth Order Guy, G-U-Y, Birth Order Guy, and just look for the podcast, scroll down to you find podcasts, and listen away. Well, they rank them on iTunes, okay? We took Oscar the Grouch and Elmo, and, and we, we knocked them out of first place. And it's really interesting because huge organizations, huge organizations are like number nine and number eight, number seven, all these organizations you would know. So we just started this. And it, it, to me, it was old hat. I mean, talk about rearing kids, that's a piece of cake. Well, go out on the street corner of Erie and tell people that rearing kids is a piece of cake. They look at you like you got a couple screws loose. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, young families have just latched onto this and they're telling their friends about it. So I'm telling you, if you want to go on, again, they're free. You don't like something I say, forget it. By the way, if you want some good preaching, come back next Sunday, Pastor Jack will be here, okay? <laughs> I am not a preacher, I'm, I'm a psychologist. So uh, keep that down, please, thank you. <laughs> oh, and then one other thing here, what else? Uh, oh, and I'm doing a middle school book. Now middle schoolers, okay? A kid can go along and be sort of normal. And then they hit middle school. And I came up with a title. The title of the book is Planet Middle School. And I'm working on that right now. I'm gonna share some thoughts about that in a while. Um, but anyway, the other thing I wanna to draw to your attention is we do a cruise every year. And I've talked to you about our cruise. But this year we have the best cruise ever with a guy named Luis Palau. And Luis is an internationally known Bible teacher. He's going to do a Bible study every morning on the ship, okay? It's one of those things where if you want to get up early and have a Bible study, cool. If you don't and you want to sleep in, do that too. But I have Dennis Swanberg with me. Dennis Swanberg is one of the funniest people I've ever met. The two of us on the boat for a week, I can't wait to be there. He does an imitation of Billy Graham, better than Billy Graham ever did Billy Graham. I was fishing with him up at Gary Smalley's place up in Branson, Michigan, and I had with me Chuck Swindoll, and, and all of a sudden, Swanee starts talking like Billy Graham. We're in a, we're in a, a world-class trout stream, and he starts saying, I, I, I see your fin, I see your fin, the, bu the buses will wait, and he goes into this whole thing about Billy Graham. And Chuck Swindoll was laughing so hard he had fly line all over himself. <laughs> It was just one of those moments of life. But anyway, Dennis is gonna be with us. He's absolutely funny. He does Bill Clinton better than Bill Clinton did Bill Clinton too. I had him call my best friend in life, Moonhead Deach, on his birthday and wish him a happy birthday from Bill Clinton. And my buddy Moonhead thought for sure he was talking to Bill Clinton. It was great. And we have Sherry Kiggy with us. She's our singer. But I got an idea for you guys. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I wouldn't tell you to do what I'm not doing in my own church, but I'm bringing my pastor on this church. We're getting everybody in church just to ante up a little bit, and we're getting rid of them for a week. <laughs> but anyway, there's brochures back there at the book table. If you can't go, it's February 22nd through March 1st, usually a real nice time of year here in Erie. <laughs> so hopefully reason will prevail and we'll see you on the ship. If you've never done a cruise, it's life-changing. They're wonderful. I, we've done 12 of them now in a row. 
I didn't want to do a cruise when they first asked me. I thought, I'm not, they said, oh, you get to travel. I said, oh, I get to travel, sign me up. I travel about every weekend. So uh, it's, it's a good thing, but we'd love to see Jack and his bride on there. Our topic this morning is uh, be the parent God wants you to be, which believe it or not is a title of one of my books by coincidence. But um, in fact, Jason, if you wouldn't mind, um, put that up on the screen so people can see it. I brought a little something. Now this is special just for you guys. I hope you can see it. I hope you can make that out. Maybe I'll walk you through it. It's a six week report card dated in 1957-58 school year. The guy's name is Kevin Lehman. And uh, up at the top, well, let me just share with you how I did the six weeks after midterms. Uh, VP, now that does not mean very perfect. That means very poor. That's analogous to an F, okay? Uh, that was English. Latin one, ooh, I got a P plus, which is also failing, that's poor plus. So I had two failing ones there. If you move over, if you can see that final grade there, I got a 70. Now, we will sing like David, we will pray like David, we will dance like David. There was a guy named Karl Maas who sat in front of me in Latin one. I'll never forget that moment because Latin didn't come naturally to me. And I said to Karl during the final exam, I said, hey Maas, Lower your left shoulder. <laughs> so here's Carl Maas, and here's me, Kevin Lehman, and that's the only reason I got 70. I don't have to ask for forgiveness. He granted that years ago. Then we go move down to social studies, 65. I passed it, but that six week uh, P plus again, failing. Then we come to algebra, which was really my strength. <laughs> my final exam, if you can't make that out, is 22. <laughs> they were doing algebra and I was doing gazindas. Four gazinda 12, three times. Five gazinda 25, five times. Okay, do you get the picture? Interesting enough, my dear sweet mother, may God rest her soul, got the exact same grade at Hutchinson High School in Buffalo, New York. But I got a very poor in that as well, which is obviously flunking. And then general science, it was interesting. In New York State, we had what they called circled 65s. Now a circled 65 meant this, you didn't pass, but we don't want you back. <laughs> so they circled the 65 and they moved you along. Now, I've talked about my academic record, and I found this puppy this winter, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna share this. And in that book I told you about on middle schoolers, that, that report card is going in the book. Am I embarrassed over my grades? Not really. <laughs> but that was general science. Now, and then there was health and PE. Now, this is what I'm really a little ashamed about, because I flunked that as well. <laughs> and I was a baseball player and an athlete. So I share this not as look at dummy here, but God is in the business of changing lives, is he not? And when I met Jesus Christ at age 21, some of you know the story, I was a janitor, I was going no place, and 
through the loving kindness of my wife. She was the trigger point that God used in my life. My life did a 180, okay? And God is still God. And he still uses ordinary people like you and I to change this world. And I'm convinced that this church and some other churches can help change Erie and the families of Erie. Like I say, families are not the happiest things in the world these days. And culture rules. But like all things, we base what we talk about on God's holy word. And here it is. And this is the one, if you're a parent, and we're talking about be the parent God wants you to be, here it is. Children, obey your parents. This is the right thing to do because God has placed them in authority over you. Honor your father and mother. This is the first of God's Ten Commandments that ends with a promise. And this is the promise if you honor your father and mother, yours will be a long life full of blessing. And now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with a loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Well, you take a look around. You go over to Mill Creek Mall and have a seat. You watch kids. You watch kids interact with their parents. You listen to how kids talk to their mom and their dad. It, it's terrible, really. It's, it's, it, I, for those of us who are grandparents, it's hard to believe that young kids would possibly say what they say to their parents and their grandparents today without batting an eye. Culture rules, folks. There are so many people that are not here this Sunday because their kid is such a good soccer player. They're playing in Meadville today or some other place or a basketball or a softball or a baseball player. Culture rules. And I came up with something just this morning. My friend uh, Rick Warren, Rick is the pastor at Saddleback. Now, by the way, when you speak at Saddleback, you speak twice on Saturday night and then five times on Sunday, okay? By that fifth sermon on Sunday, you don't know if Jesus was a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely just drained, okay? But he has a little thing on the internet where he does a little, you know, and you young people, you live on this thing, okay? I'm getting hipper by the day. I no longer uh, butt dial 10 people in a given day. But he sent a little uh, devotional this morning and I always start my days with these little things. And they're just, they're little, they're small. But it hit me, and I, I created a word this morning based upon what Rick sent over. He says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And he cites the book of Mark in the eighth chapter, 13 through 16. Then Jesus left the Pharisees and went to the boat to the other side of the lake. His followers had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. They had forgotten to bring more. Jesus warned them, be careful, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. His followers discussed the meaning of this saying, he said this because we have no bread. In the Bible, yeast is used as a metaphor for pride and arrogance. You know, well, I don't I couldn't bake a thing, but I know if you're baking bread, you got to put yeast in it, but you don't put a lot of yeast in it and, or it's going to be, you know, puffed up to beyond reason. Well, I came up with this word, yeastlings. We're rearing yeastlings in our country today. Kids who are arrogant, kids who have so much self-importance, 
We bring up kids that feel like they're the center of the universe. Again, I remind you, if you bring up kids that feel like they're the center of the universe, where is room for Almighty God in a kid's life? There's no room in your kid's life if he's the center of the universe. And so I've come up with that little word. I sort of like that. We're rearing, uh, rearing yeastlings. We made the, uh, the dreadful mistake, again, of responding to the least effort that kids give in a huge way. Any little effort they give. We don't hold them accountable at any, at any turn in life. Your judicial system, you know, not a good system in any of our cities. How long is the rap sheet on somebody before they're ever dealt with? And so we deal with warnings. Parents are always warning their children. I'm always warning parents that warnings are disrespectful acts. They really say, you're so stupid, I gotta call you four times to dinner or do this or do that. Um, and so here's what I think needs to happen. Culture does rule. And if you want kids to have an attitude of gratitude, not an attitude, a lot of kids have an attitude, okay? If you want, how do you get a kid to have an attitude of gratitude? How do you do that? You know, my wife is the smarter one of the two of us. She gives our little grandchildren candy bars once in a while as a treat. And she wraps them with a $10 bill. But the kicker is this. The candy bar is for them. The $10 bill is for someone else. They do all kinds of things and that's part of just training kids, okay? It's better for kids to earn money in their own home, okay, and then be able to give money or service to other people. And I'm racking my brain thinking about all these things that kids can do in those building up years, those growing up years, where they can go out there and service other people. The stuff that you're doing in Erie is what I'm talking about doing. But that has to be a part of family living where kids understand that every day there's people out there in life who go to bed hungry, who don't have decent clothing or housing or anything else. So one kids, once kids understand that, then it seems to me kids can have what? An attitude of what? Of gratitude. And that's what's missing today in our country. We snowplow the roads of life for children. We make far too many decisions for kids that kids could be making for themselves. I recently wrote this little book, The Powerful Child was just nominated as book of the year, which I'm proud of. I don't know if it gets book of the year, quite frankly, I couldn't care less. But what I care about is it was nominated as best book of the year in its category. That says something to me, okay? Well, powerful children, where do they come from? My friend Jim Dobson wrote about strong-willed children years ago. The problem is that he was really not describing strong-willed children. He was, he was really describing powerful children. You want your kid to be strong-willed, folks. Your kid goes over here to school, you know, I'm telling you, they're hit on every day to be cool and be like us, to smoke this, drink this, snort this, whatever, whatever the malady is that's out there for your kids. In Tucson, where I live, heroin is the number one drug in our best high school, our best high school, where the attorneys send their children, the people got a few bucks in their back pocket, go to Catalina Foothills High School, Heroin, drug of choice, okay? You tell me what's wrong with that picture, plenty. Anyway, powerful children. Again, you want your kid to be strong-willed. You want them to stand up and give what I call vitamin N. No, I'm not gonna do that. Okay, they have to be conviction. We talked as the little ones went out about putting on the armor. Yeah, you put on the armor, that's Ephesians, okay? That's the word of God. 
You need to train your kid up. The kid's got to have skills to be able to say, no, that's not cool. I told all the Lehman kids, when temptation's there and you're in a situation and you feel that little uh-oh go off inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit just tugging at you saying, hey, back off, get out of there, there's trouble ahead. I want my kids to be street smart. But powerful children reign today in America. And here's the problem. We train kids, we teach them to be powerful. Take a little 18-month-old ankle biter, okay? You're trying to get the little ankle biter into, oh, this is for all you young parents. I'm so glad to see so many young faces here, by the way. That's good. That means you're doing some things right at Erie First Assembly. But here's, here's his husband trying to get the 18-month-old into the high chair. I'm telling you, the 18-month-old kid, circle the calendar if you have little ones. That's when a kid really gets powerful is fully capable of contorting their body in such a way that it is physiologically impossible to get that kid in that chair. So here's young dad struggling, trying to get the little ankle biter in there. Mom sees what's going on and says, honey, Roger, give him to me. Just give him to me. I'll take him, honey. So she takes him, puts him on her lap, and spoon feeds him. Now, you be little Fletcher for just a second. Would you rather sit on mommy's lap and be spoon-fed or sit in the cheap chair they got at Walmart? Do you see what I'm saying? So we teach the kids to be powerful. And kids find power in anything, you know. It's all trial and error. It's 3 o'clock in the morning and your 3-year-old starts, Water! Water! I want water! Wifey says to husband, honey, would you get him some water? Sleepy-eyed husband goes over, goes to John, turns on the water, brings him a little cup, one of those little cups, three-year-old. That's bathroom water! I want kitchen water, kitchen water. I'll tell you, they can find a way to punch your buttons up. <laughs> you look down the hallway, your little son, who's only 20 months of age, is sitting on the big potty. Not the little Kmart plastic potty, the big potty. And you walk over in amazement, you know. You look down, there's a little four and a half inch floating there. And what do you say to your, Ralph, Ralph, come here, see what your son has just done. Ralph puts down the Erie Times, walks over and goes, oh, hey, good going there, buddy. Hey, that's really something. What's 20-month-old thinking? Hmm. They're really big on that, aren't they? <laughs> I'm telling you. And see, kids have this ability. They have this little psychological antennae. They pick up what you're what you think is too important. So if you're one of those hovering parents and you're going to hover over these kids, you're not going to stand them on their own two feet. And see, that's the problem. Who's going to make the decision in your kid's life to follow Jesus Christ someday? Are you going to do that too? And so there's a lot of parents who are authoritarian, okay? Most of us in this room grew up authoritarians, okay? The church is full of them, okay? Um, you listen up. You're going to do what I tell you to do. Hey, you want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. Hey, you get that expression off your face right now, I'll change it for you. 
some of you, some of you women had daddies who just gave you the look. True? They gave you the look. And what did you do? You clicked those little heels together. You straightened up inside. You know, see, that's authoritarianism. But here's the kicker. The God we worship, as we sang praises of Jesus this morning, Jesus Christ is not an authoritarian. He doesn't come and tell us that your knee will bow. He doesn't tell us. You bow your knee right now. That's not what he says. The scripture says every knee shall bow. He is the supreme authority, but he's not the authoritarian. Are you with me? But he's certainly not the permissive. When he walked in the temple and he saw the money changers, he didn't say, oh, hi, fellas, have a nice day. He, he drove them out of the temple. So there's a wonderful midpoint here. As Paul writes in Ephesians, there's balance. I'm going to kill myself on that thing, yeah. There's balance in there, okay? And I think that's what Paul's trying to tell us. You have to have balance. You don't overdo things. The problem is, everybody who's a parent here, your father or your mother would say things to you that you vowed you would never say to your kids. You know who you are, right? Not only do you say those things, but you say them with the same tone and inflection that your parents said to you. So the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I was up in Buffalo, New York at a Barnes & Noble doing a book signing. My cousin Pat Lehman shows up. He worked at Chevy Plant. And uh, I hadn't seen him in years. And he knew I was, had written some books about kids. He says, I gotta tell you a story, Kevin. He says, I was about seven and my dad was a, a milkman. Some of you are old enough to remember milkmen. Used to bring milk to your home. And he says, uh, I got in trouble with my mother and she was gonna send me to Father Baker's. Well, if you grew up in Buffalo, New York, that's what you did. You threatened kids with, you're going to Father Baker's, which was a home for what we call delinquent children. And so his mother, my aunt, puts Pat on, on the curb, age seven, with a box with some clothes in it. And he's sitting there on the curb. Now he's telling me this story. His dad comes home and sees him sitting on the curb and says, oh, you sassed your mother, I'll bet. Yeah, Father Baker's coming to pick me up. <laughs> My compassionate uncle, as only the Lehman men could say, he says, well, you can't miss him. He drives a big black truck. <laughs> it's amazing Cousin Pat hasn't been in a shrink's office the rest of his life. But see, that's the way it was. We didn't care about anybody's feelings. You know, we just told people where the bone were buried. That was authoritarianism. I'm telling you, that's not who the loving God is. He loves us. He wants fellowship with us. But we have to open that door and come to him. It's that whole submission thing, you know. Submission is one of those words that people just don't like. I recently wrote a book called uh, Be the Dad She Needs You to Be. And that book has been more than interesting. What are we doing? You gonna save me? Is that the problem? <laughs> On behalf of my insurance company, I appreciate it. <laughs> you saw I wasn't very smart. <laughs> But you know, the key relationships in families are, are clearly between mommy and son and daddy and daughter. 
There's great teaching that goes on there. I wrote this little book about be the dad she needs you to be. And I, I tell dads that each daughter has to feel unique. Well, I've got four daughters. And one thing I've learned is you've got to treat them different. Again, does God treat us the same? No, he treats us very different. Different bedtimes, different allowances. Um, and the critical eye. How many of us as men have that critical eye? How many of us as men have that ability to spot that flaw? Well, again, we're going to sing like David, dance like David, okay? Pray like David. You're also going to sin like David. I got news for you. We're all imperfect. We're all on that same equal plane of sinners. And many times as parents, we get on our high horse, we make all kinds of judgments about our kids, we put them in our place, we're being nothing but authoritarian, and somehow we think we're being a good model for them, and we're not. My favorite on this is you, you know, a kid brings home a great report card, but it's got one B on it. And what do most of us as critical eyed dads have to say? Hey, honey, what's with a B? I mean, your kid would fall over if you said five A's and a B, good job. And that's what I call vitamin E, which is encouragement, okay? So if you're one of those people that's a flaw picker and you earn a living being a flaw picker, meaning you write computer programs or you're a dentist or an engineer or an accountant, you're one of those perfectionistic jobs, what makes you good in your job is the same skill that works against you with your wife or with your kids. Now, those of you who had critical eyed parents that could spot a flaw, you, you live with someone who had that high jump bar life so high, you paid for it in life today because today you're a procrastinator. Today you start a lot of projects and you just don't finish them. You don't want to be evaluated. Some days you don't even start. That's one of the ways you protect yourself. Or I pointed out many times to this congregation, you're a messy, you got messes all over, little piles. That's a sign you grew up with a critical eyed father. And here's the problem with us dads. We represent much more than mommy, who almighty God is to our kids. So are you a loving dad? See, it's like making a cake, ladies, you know? And again, I couldn't make a cake if I had to. But I know this, if you didn't put in a basic ingredient like sugar, the cake is going to fall flat, or worse yet, flour. We had one of our kids make a cake once without flour. It was unbelievable. But, <laughs> but so it is with, with personality. See, all you young women here, you need a good dose of what? Masculinity. Young men need a good dose of femininity. Isn't that interesting? And the God, the Creator knew that. Hey, Lehman, where's that leave me? I'm a single mom. My kid doesn't see his father. Well, it leaves you between a rock and a hard place. The good news is you serve a great God. And if you're consistent and loving and you're brave enough to discipline your son, discipline your daughter, your kid's got a good shot at making it through life. I'm not going to tell you it's not going to be tough because there's going to be that void. And for some of you who struggle with, with that image of who God is, that person who wants to come forward every Sunday, Jack, and get saved over again is the person who really can't believe that God is who he says he is. You know that sin you're gonna commit next week? I got news for you. It's already forgiven. It's already forgiven because of the, the blood that, shed, that Jesus shed for you and I on that cross. That's hard to get in your head. It's like, oh, if I sit, I gotta, oh, oh. Hey, it's done, it's a done deal. You're his. You're in the kingdom of God. He loves you and wants best for you. So if you're fighting, who are you fighting? You're fighting yourself in many ways. And you didn't have the right imprinting, as I like to call it, from that opposite sex parent. I call it daddy attention deficit disorder. 
If you're struggling with your kids, a couple tips. Don't ask your kids questions. We ask kids far too many questions. If you've got a relationship with a son or daughter that's not a good one, don't ask him any questions. Lehman, if I took your advice, my kid would never talk to you. Never talk to me. Wrong. If I drive her to school and I don't ask her questions, there'll be nothing. Hey, when you drive her to school and she turns the music on, you know the, the music that you really don't care for? You want my suggestion? Say, hey, honey, turn it up. Your kid gives you the look. She's 15. What? I turn that up. She turns it up. Louder. <laughs> honey, who's singing that? Well, and she'll give you the name of the group. It sounds like a mortgage company. I'm telling you, you won't know the group, okay? But I'm telling you, if you don't enter your kid's world, the kid's not going to enter your world. They become what I call slamming clickers. They go home and slam a door, click it shut, and text all their buddies. Shut you right out of their life. It's over. So you're either going to be the parent God wants you to be, which is the parent who is in authority, but not an authoritarian. Is it easy to see your kids make mistakes? No. But look at your life. Point to the mistakes that you made in your life. When looking back, they were a blessing. Your kid needs to learn to fail. The best place to learn to fail is where? In the Christian home. And all of us are failures. All of us are sinners. I've said many times, when you understand how imperfect and crummy you really are, then and only then can you really be the person that God wants you to be in life. It's all about relationships. If you're a business person today, if you're a business person today, Please hear me on this. It's all about relationship. If you're the pastor of the church, Pastor Jack knows this, it's all about relationships. It's relationships, relationships, relationships. It's not rules. I mean, as, as they put that song up, I love the way you put the words up so we can sing along. But I'm thinking dance. We're going to dance like David. We're going to pray like David. Dance. Isn't that against the rules? Remember all the rules we had? See, it's not rules, it's a relationship. And you can have relationships with people. One of, one of the most interesting days I ever had in my life was when my son Kevin graduated from Ringling School of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, it was a 9.30 in the morning graduation, if I remember. We had the whole day. Hey, what do you want to do? Kevin pops up, says, Dad, can we go up to Disney? Yeah, why not? Let's go. Off to Disney we go, okay? I got nine people with me. I walk up there, big old banner over the thing. Now this is, uh, oh, 14 years ago. $180 a ticket. Remember, took a while. I did the math. I go, wait a minute. That's almost $2,000. I looked to my left. I saw a little sign said, media relations. Media relations. I looked at Mrs. Uppington, my bride. I said, and before I even said anything, she said, Lee me? No. I hate it when she says, no, like a dog. No, sit. <laughs> I said, no, just give me, honey, just give me 10 minutes. No, leave me. Just get your credit card out. We want to go in. Just give me, honey, just give me 10. Please, please just give. She didn't give me the 10. I left. And I go up there. And there's a young kid. There's three tellers. And I go to the one on the far left. I have a 
WKBW Channel 7 golf shirt on. I walk up and the kid's there, his name's Daniel. Now somebody like me can actually get a couple tickets free to get in the place, but there's a procedure. So I go up to him and I, I look at his name, Daniel. Oh, hi Daniel. And underneath it he has his home, his hometown, Buffalo, New York. So, hey Daniel, how you doing? Hey, uh, oh, hey, Buffalo, you're from Buffalo. I'm from, CW, I'm from Buffalo too. Oh my goodness, hey listen, could you just get me a, a couple of comp tickets into the park? Oh, you know, we got a, you got a procedure, you got to fax it two weeks, I know all that stuff. I'm just going along with them and so, oh gosh, I remember, we just had a graduation, it was a spur of the moment thing, I know all that. And then the boss comes in. The boss comes in, he gets that thing in his ear and the little radio thing like on him. So I say, right off the bat, I go, all right, everybody stop picking their nose. Here comes the boss. Be on your best behavior. And then I'm asking if he's a good boss. Is he a good boss? Does he care about you and all this stuff? I'm gonna shorten this because it takes too much time to tell. But within 10 minutes, okay, this kid, now I've entertained the three tellers. They're all listening to every word I say, and the boss. I've entertained them, that's all I've done. But we've created a relationship And the conversation went like this. He looks at his boss like, and the boss goes, okay. So the guy gives me four free tickets, 180 bucks pop. What would you say? Oh, Daniel, I can't thank you enough. This is so kind of you. Hey, Daniel, do me a favor. Do you see that woman over there, about five foot nine blonde hair with her arms crossed like this? It looks rather angry. <laughs> That's Mrs. Uppington. And uh, that's my wife, and we actually have nine people with us. He looked at me like, hello, I just gave you nine, or I just gave you four tickets. Now again, I wouldn't lie to you. The guy looks up to the boss like, what am I supposed to do with this nut? And the boss says, take care of the doctor. He gives me nine free tickets. I stick him in my back pocket. This is the fun part. You're about to hear the highlight of 46 years of marriage. Because I looked a little forlorn and I walked over and there she is and she's a little steamed, okay? Because it didn't take 10 minutes, it took 20. But give me credit. And she's like this. Okay, Mr. Big Time, show me the tickets. And I fan. I fan nine tickets. I share that with you as a baby of the family, those of you who are youngest children. Some of you could pull that off. Maybe not to that scale, but you could pull that off. Because you earned a living, so to speak, in your family by knowing how to get around other people. And it's all about relationships. It's not about rules. And yet some of you this morning have a hard time coming close to Jesus in the truest sense of the word because you haven't trusted him. You know, I already forgot your last name, but whatever it was, it's an interesting last name. But you're new and you got involved and you got up here in front of people and you shared and you benefit when you dive in. But the tendency for most of us is to hold back. And God wants you to, he wants, you know, 
He wants to be in your heart. He wants to be in your head. He wants to be in your checkbook. He wants to be in every aspect of your life. But you hold him off, sometimes because of hurts of other people. And again, keep in mind, your image of who God is, you learned in your home growing up. How do you grow a church? Through relationships. Through things like parenting and marriage, you grow a church. How do you grow a business? Through relationships. It's all about relationships. I'm traveling. I get to a hotel, 11.03 at night. I'm starved. They give you nothing on the plane these days. Nothing. And I'm there. I say, oh, I am so, you know, you go through all, how was your flying? I'm a flightless flying. I didn't crash, okay? I'm just, I'm just hungry. And, and oh, the kitchen closes at 11. I'm looking three minutes after 11. Oh, no. Now, that guy's rule-oriented. Let me tell you what he does. He says, the kitchen's closed. I'm sorry. He says it very politely and professionally. The guy looks at me and says, are you looking for a dinner? I, oh, no, it's too late at night. I, I mean, just a sandwich would do fine. What kind of sandwich would you like? Oh, just a turkey sandwich. How would you like it? Uh, I don't know, just a little, uh, maybe a little mustard on it or something, and just whole wheat toast or something like that. He says, let me check for you. He goes back. He says, I got it for you. Now, what do you suppose I do? I normally thank the guy profusely, but I notice the guy's name. And I find out the next morning who the general manager is. I say, hey, I want to just tell you something about your people. I was really impressed with how I was met and how I was taken care of when I checked in. Do you see what I'm saying? It's all about what? Relationships. And so when you go out of this church, that's when the ministry starts. Even on the playground today, because there's going to be people there that don't know who Jesus Christ is. There's people who just can't get themselves to fork things over. You have to know your kids, and they're all different. Jack, I have no idea what time it is, because I can't see that. What time is it? 20 hours. 20 hours. All right, five minutes, I'm out of here. Our daughter, Chrissy, applies to one college, North Park University in Chicago, Illinois, only school she wants to go to. We're there for orientation. We take her from Tucson. We got all the bags and all that kind of stuff. We're at the chicken dinner. We're three people away from meeting the president at the presidential dinner, okay? She turns to me and she says with tears in her eyes, I don't want to go to school here. <laughs> the great psychologist said, what? <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to go to school here? I'm scared, don't leave me here. I want to go home with you. I we're, th we're three steps away from meeting the president. What do you do? I said, just, we will talk about this later. It's so nice to see you, Mr. President. Yes. I mean, we went through all the things. It was terrible. We didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, we found out that day she was frightened by someone in an alley in Chicago. North Park is in the very middle of Chicago. She wanted to go home. You know, each of your kids, they're all different. The firstborn turns this way. The secondborn turns this way. Chrissy, from the time she was little, you had to give her an out. If you didn't give her an out, you're dead. She had badger-like qualities. She could dig in with the best of them. So finally, we left her in a pool of tears in Chicago. But I cut a deal with her. I said, hey, honey, I'll tell you what, I'm not bringing you home. And she crying, please. I mean, she's hanging on me. She's 18. Please don't leave me. I'm leaving you. But I'll tell you what, in two weeks, if you feel the same, I will fly back to Chicago and bring you back to Tucson personally. Two weeks later. And we talk with her along the way. Okay. But two weeks later, having the conversation. Well, Chrissy, uh, honey, two weeks are up. I, you want me to come and get you? Oh, Dad, be serious. <laughs> you got to know your kids. 
I'm going to share something with you real briefly before we get out. Like I say, you come back next Sunday and get some real preaching. My cousin Carol lives up, and she lives in North Carolina, but we grew up two streets apart in Williamsville, New York. And I closed the book with this little thing about her dad. She said, and I said, I recently received one of the most touching emails I've ever received. It was from my second cousin Carol, the youngest children of Carlton, my cousin, 20 years my senior. She and her family grew up two streets from me, and she and her husband Bob and kids now live in North Carolina. I have permission to share this story below. She says, Kevin, it was great to talk to you. I really warms my heart to hear all about your kids. It's so awesome that you're all so close and loving. Makes me really miss those Andersons. My middle name is Anderson. My mom was an Anderson. They had nine kids in the family. All the aunts and uncles were so cute. There were nine of them. I can't remember a family reunion when they weren't at least three of those cuties crying with happiness. Makes me really miss my dad, too, even though he could be a bit tough at times. He was such a great dad to me. Don't know if I ever told you this or not, but my dad was in a home for the last few years. Bob and the boys and I would go and visit him every week. His tiny room was filled with pictures the boys would draw for their papa. My dad had no idea who we were at that stage. Anyway, every time we would go to leave, he would cry and ask us to take him with us. He said, even though... <laughs> Oh gosh, even though he didn't know us, we seemed like real nice people, and it would break my heart to leave him. Some of you have been in these shoes, I know. The day after Easter, I went to see him without Bob and the boys. I took him a really big chocolate bunny sticker and a chocolate shake, two of his favorites. As I walked into his room, there he sat in someone else's clothing, this was typical, with his Velcro sneakers on the wrong feet. I sat beside him, gave him his treats. He lit up like a four-year-old sitting on Santa's lap. I told him what the boys were up to, even though he had no clue who the boys were. When he finished his treats, there was chocolate all over his face. As I was cleaning his face, he looked at me. All of a sudden, he said, you can go now, I'm fine. I laughed and I said, I'm not going anywhere. He said it again, but this time, almost like he knew what he was saying. This took me by surprise since he cried when I left, always cried when I left. I told him, okay. I gave him a hug and a kiss and told him I loved him. As I walked to the door to leave, my dad said to me, boy, I never thought I'd be treated this good today. I smiled and told him, I'd see him in just a few days, and I left. Ten minutes later, after I left, he died of a heart attack. I was the only one they called. I'm positive he knew he was going to die. He didn't want me to be there. My daddy even protected me to the end. I love that man. Don't you love stories like that? Where, you know, all of us don't have those kind of endings. All of us don't have those relationships. And when you don't have those relationships, you pay for it. But you got to understand, for those of you who have been broken, that the Jesus we sing praises of today is the same Jesus who can meet you today with whatever you bring to him, 
We prayed this morning for people with addictions and afflictions and need healings. And we, you know, we lay hands on people and with expectations that the creator of the universe is going to answer our prayer. We don't know. We don't know what the future lies for us. Except this, if you know Jesus, you know you're going to spend eternity with him. And I'm telling you, if it's choirs, I'm no part of it. I'm not into choirs. But I know what he has planned for us is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And it's free. It's free for the taking. But you've got to submit to him in all things. I'll see some of you back at the book table. God bless each of you. You come back next Sunday, we'll have some real teaching for you. Thanks.